We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. And this is Main Lane from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, Paul, Elliot and Tim will be talking about the 2-1 away victory to Preston in the FA Cup. Now, unfortunately, I haven't seen the game, so I'm not going to be able to give you my rambling mess of an intro properly, so it's probably for the best. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and back after Swansea away. Arsenal avoid cliched game of two halves by only showing up for one. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Strongly recommend you do it. So I was absent for the last pod due to a travel nightmare. Um, Tim and Paul did an excellent job in my stead. I will uh, admit it was a little cheerier than perhaps I would have been under the circumstances. And so I have prepared eight cynical, miserable questions for this one. Um, you're welcome. Happy New Year, everybody. First, let me introduce Paul and Tim. Paul is on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Hello, Paul. Hello. Hello, indeed. And Tim is on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Stilberto. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. All right, so, look, we won. Now that we got the good news out of the way, we can get to the really meaty stuff. Uh, I thought it was actually great because, you know, uh, Giroud was named captain. So, first of all, I was, you know, in a fantastic mood right off the bat. Um, and in true captain spirit he led by example by not showing up until sometime in the second half so i thought it was great um but let's get into the nuts and bolts of it i'll start with you paul just really quickly on a scale of bournemouth to manchester uh, bournemouth first half to manchester city second half where do you rate the first half at preston <laughs> uh bournemouth first half Manchester city second half uh i go with pretty much bournemouth first half i think Okay. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, it, it much wasn't more good, of that feel it? to it. There was a, the city game had a real funk to it. I mean, it was just like, it was like that was fucking mental. We, we don't in, go heavy on narrative here, but are you prepared to just put the first half literally down to not putting in the effort required? I mean, was this simply a case of taking them lightly? Well, it's a weird one, right? Uh, I mean, there's Giroud interviewed afterwards. He's the captain saying they surprised us. I mean, fuck off. They did not. Uh, every time we show up to a Bradford or a Prest, we know you know what it's going to be like. I think the problem is, obviously, we're not going out with the right mindset for whatever reason. I don't really, nobody really understands it, right? You'd blame the manager for not sending them out with their heads screwed on tight because uh, it makes no sense. 
Uh, I mean, we couldn't string a pass together in the first half. Well, we could. We just couldn't string the second pass well, together. Well, we were waving legs half. at tackles like they were magic wands. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, there is no way that we were surprised it was intense. We just mightn't have been uh, uh, up for the fact that it was going to be that intense. I think it's like, like if I tell you you were about to have a freezing, literally freezing cold shower. You go off thinking, man, this is going to be cold. And then you stand under the thing and you're like, holy fuck, I couldn't imagine it was that bad. Now, some some players might have that excuse. Not too many do, but maybe you just don't remember it being as intense as it's going to be. But certainly we went into this uh, not prepared for the intensity on their side. But that's only half the story. So what? They were intense. So what? Uh, you know, they came out with a game plan. So what? They played their 90 minutes in the first 45 minutes. All of that was mm-hmm. a given. Uh, what was our fucking story? You know, to me, our big issues in the first half were the two pairings, the centre-backs and the two central midfielders. I mean, the centre-backs weren't really tested in the second half, but uh, at the moment, I'm, I've no confidence that Gabriel and Mustafi... Yeah. Uh, speak even the same language well, and they, they in, surely at least do in not. the second half yeah <laughs> um uh, uh by the way paul the, the, yeah. the, the listener only comes for your analogies so you know it's the cold shower analogy you could have stopped there man you, you gave us the greatest hits and then yeah you, I, no, then you went on yeah. to the b-sides yeah. um uh, yeah. t- tim, all right i'll leave some for you guys thank yeah. you yeah little meat on the bone tim uh i'll give you just a quick one line or two on narrative street just i mean was mm. it just a, a a performance lacking energy and effort in the first half? A little bit. I think Paul's kind of got it right in that the midfield two and the, the centre-back pairings well, just Well, now you're stealing working. my question. Now, see, <laughs> all right, so let oh. me just ask it the way I have it written down because I, well, I did the professional thing and prepared today. Do we have a viable midfield if we stay in the two-man system considering the injuries and the openness at the back it's seeming to create? Well, now I'm slightly reluctant to go too far into this because I've, I've written about it. For oh, week. well, come on. <laughs> Look, but, people that listen to podcasts don't know how to read, man, so you, you can just hammer away. But basically, um, yes, a bit, um, because, I mean, at the moment, as to did we take Preston too lightly in the first half, I'm not certain that we did because we've seen this kind of first-half performance quite a lot recently. Um, I think maybe Jacker and Mustafi have never really played. I, sorry, I don't really, I really don't want to go into the oh they don't know the English game kind of trope. But um, I think maybe they were taken a little bit by surprise in the first half. Bear in mind, Granite Jacker played away at Nottingham Forest in the League Cup, which is a much much different game. Um, and maybe he could have been forgiven for thinking, oh, this is probably going to be like Forest. Um, and actually, FA Cup games do tend to have a bit more intensity and are both improved in the second half. I think both kind of warmed to it eventually. But really, my, my theory is, at the moment, Arsenal can only play chaotic kitchen sink football because they're a pretty directionless, chaotic team. Um, they don't really have that midfield sorted, so they don't really have a firm plan which is why we're seeing um, that really we're, we're often effective in the last 20 minutes of games when it, when it really comes to the pump. And that's why players like Lucas Perez and Giroud are making a difference in the late, latter part of games because they're both players that uh, benefit from chaotic kitchen sink football and they basically become a front two at that point. And it's basically because Arsenal are just a bit orderless at the moment and they spend the first half of games desperately trying to feel their way into them without much of a, you know, because that central midfield really isn't sorted and hasn't been for for quite a few months. And if you kind of wind back um, a few weeks, you know, we had that game at West Ham. That was quite chaotic and end-to-end. It's just that West Ham were awful. And the week before, we played Bournemouth at home and beat them. But that was quite chaotic an end-to-end um, and it kind of feels like those chickens have come home to roost a little bit and uh, where we've been doing this kind of punch drunk swinging football you know we've we've had our chin tested a couple of times but it kind of comes together in the last 20 minutes when the team go right we haven't got time to try and work out what our non-existent plan is anymore we've just got to get the ball you know in the mixer and and you know all hands to the pump kind of thing. And, and I think that's why you're seeing some fairly listless 
kind of first half displays because the, the players don't really know what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and so they kind of wait until it's panic stations and, and resort to this fairly direct football, which has been bailing us out. But yeah. I think it, it hints at a deeper malaise kind of structurally. Yeah, I, I also think, and I, and I mean, we'll come on to the center forward issue in a minute, but but I think we tend to focus on central midfield because it's an issue of, of some concern. But, you know, when you go from a Mesut Ozil to Alex Awobi, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, the, the way, the kind of movement you're going to have ahead of that midfield duo and the way defenders are going to get pulled around and the pockets of space he's going to find and the little link-up play, it's going to be different. And that's not because Awobi is not, you know, a decent player, but he's a young player coming around, and, and Mesut Ozil is one of the best number 10s in the world, if not the best. And then you have an Alexis Sanchez in the middle who creates even more chaos with his running in the space, and he drops deep, and he adds an extra body in midfield, and sometimes he goes past the last man. You know, when you swap that out for Giroud, Lucas, and Oxlade chamberlain you know, pretty much the ball-to-feet forwards, as much as you could expect, you know, they're, they're not possession forwards. They want to you know, Giroud wants to be a target man. Ox and, and Lucas either want to run in behind or carry the ball. But, like, they're they're not going to add that link-up play. So where's the ball go? It goes to Iwobi, and that's about it. You didn't have Bellerin on one side. Nacho's not as attack-minded. I just think it gives those central midfielders so few options. Um, and, and you know, I, I think there is a problem that we're seeing with how one-footed Shaka is. And maybe the reason this system works so well with Cazorla is if you're just going to play two in the middle, you need the deepest one to be two-footed. So he has different angles and options of how to escape and the passes to play. Because if you shield Shaka to his left side, the ball's going straight back to the defenders. Um, so, Paul, on the, on the topic of the central midfield, I mean, is the system functional? And I think what I'd really like to hear from you, and I know it's just the one example, but we're starting to get a picture of, of this, this player and this, this partnership. Can Ramsey be one of the two midfielders? I mean, is this, is this a workable solution? Because we're, we're kind of out of options. Well, first thing I'd like to say is I, I thought you raised some good points there on uh, Iwobi versus Ozil, and I thought he had a really good. I thought Iwobi had a really good game again, but it's a very, very different game to what Ozil provides. As you said, uh, you know, Ozil tends to, in large part, run away from the ball into space to take up a great position. Iwobi, I mean, you see it right at the start of the second second half what his plan is he keeps running almost el nanny like into positions to receive the ball to to link up the play he's like a continuity guy um and it's just a different energy so i think that's challenging for, for any midfield pairing if you're going to switch between those two it's like switching between having alexis and Giroud as your striker not to get you all fired up <laughs> and I, I i think the other thing is you know, the beauty of uh, 4-2-3-1 is that you don't just have two players in midfield uh, because, as you talked about, other players drop in. That might be Alexis, it might be the right wing, it might be, you know, whoever. Uh, dropping in to be that third player or fourth player from time uh, as the need arises. The problem for the midfield, too, especially when they're not wedded in and experienced, is it's kind of like uh, going through a House of Horrors thing where oh, great, there's going to be some guy popping out from the wall on one side or the other. I don't know who it is, and I'm about to, you know, have the shit scared out of me. Well, it's a bit like that with our midfield with the third guy. Who is it going to be? And it's not just, does Ramsey know who it's going to be? You know, you're forming triangles with other players. So these are, it's not, will you anticipate who it is? Will the guy, you know, who are you going to ping the ball to who will get it to that guy because you're forming triangles or rectangles or whatever knocking the ball around so yes you can you can have a midfield three regardless but you don't have that if you look at a psg those they know who their three is they know as the points of that triangle move around the midfield to new positions who the three is all the time and with us um it's actually probably more predictable with Iwobi who the midfield three is because he does a lot of busy work to to keep forming that triangle. So I yeah. think it's a hell of a challenge. Do we have a workable uh, system at the moment with two players? Well, it, you know, we don't know is the answer. Based on the first half, no, we'll we're, we'll come uh, we'll be in the the four, all right, but it'll be the bottom four. Based on the second half. Uh, 
you know, we're in great shape. Yeah. But unfortunately, in both cases, well, in the, in the second half, it's against Preston. So you don't really know how real that was. But they did find a better balance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you yeah. think, I mean, just really, really quickly, Paul, just watching Aaron Ramsey play, there are some basic elements of his game that just, I don't really feel like it's clicking. There were some really worrying first touches, um, some passes that weren't weighted right. There was one, I think, for Shaka that he just left short for, you know, it was a 10-yard pass, and he left it five yards short. In the second half. Yeah. yeah um, across the, the, the uh, back line yeah, yeah and then little concentration moments like late 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 in the game where yeah. that volley came at you the ball came out from the goalkeeper might have been on like 92 minutes and he tries like the volley from 30 yards with four players all around him he could have taken it to the corner could have brought it down and passed it out and just volleyed it like into rosette like um yeah. are you starting but to develop any concerns no uh i mean no in both directions i don't know enough based on the second half i mean he had one or two moments in the second half but really a very good second half but then they weren't pressurized as much but chaka doesn't get off lightly either his first touch in that game was brutal the number of times he played himself into trouble and that's been consistent with him whether it's a first touch or he kind of starts to dribble and then overplays it so there's a pair of them there, so could, could that be though that, that teams are starting to suss out that like if you if you play him on his left side, he's got nowhere to go. I mean, he he won't even turn with the ball on his right. He won't receive it on his right. It's just all left foot all the time. Yeah, well, uh, that's probably a factor, but he doesn't need that to spill the ball or or to to put the ball where it's suddenly the guy's charging in for a fifty-fifty when you know Chaco was in no trouble and plenty of space. So. But to your point, that doesn't necessarily make Ramsey the ideal partner for him while he's sorting that out. So, but I, you know, based on this game, which is all we can talk about really in terms of pairing, you know, their second half was really good. And yeah. I hope we, uh, you know, uh, will we talk about Ramsey a little bit more in that goal because because that was something special too, and you know, it's one of the reasons you buy your you buy an Aaron Ramsey or you hold on to him is because every now and then he'll do that. And, you know, he was, he was, he, we did not break their lines. No, and I, uh, but I would say, Paul, not, I, if he's yeah. going to be one of two men in central midfield, as much as I totally agree with you that moments like that are kind of what put Aaron Ramsey on the map to some extent, I'm going to be much more fixated on and focused on his play in the buildup and how we're controlling midfield than, you know, 20 yard shots. You know, I, I won't say speculative, but but twenty yard, you know, well hit strikes from outside the box because you're going to get what three or four of those a season, maybe. I mean, if you're even lucky, I mean, you'd be lucky to get two or three of those in a season. We're going to be much more concerned with with his play from midfield. Let me just take take it over. Except to... that mm-hmm. you might only get two or three of those in it in the season, but if, if Ramsey's in form, you'll get ten goals and more. And there was nothing on there. I mean. No, no, no. Turned our game I, around. I think my point was. Uh, I more... think that's the other thing. You got some leadership from him because we came out of that. It, you saw Wenger giving a thumbs up with no celebration, as if that's exactly what we wanted to see. Yeah. And you know, Ramsey took it, it. Took that on. Wrapped his foot around it. There was nothing on. There were two defenders between him and the goal, and he got that in. So I mean, it was a bit special. Yeah, of course. And, I, I was I'll, just going to say add one other quick point. The other thing he gave you in the second half beyond all of that, was the pressing, especially early on. You saw it with him and Ox in the right-hand corner closing down their guys. I mean, mm-hmm. he kind of did the Coquelin role of pressing upfield. Not every midfielder can do that. True. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on. So, <laughs> that, was, that was a lot. It was a lot to process. Um, sorry, Tim, you <laughs> still there? Yeah. Hey, buddy. Um, <laughs> I'll shut up for a while. I'm kidding, man. Come on. Let's have some Hooray. fun. Let's have some fun. Uh, so, well, just real, really quick. I mean, Tim, I know that you, you are a big believer in Aaron Ramsey's quality. Are you having any crisis of confidence? Uh, not yet, no. I, I, I want to see how this develops uh, between Ramsey and Jacker. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think this period is absolutely crucial for him in his Arsenal career because... Um, he can't really play with Coquelin, and Wenger seems to really like Coquelin. He, you know, you can't really see him playing with Cazorla if Ozil's still there. Um, basically, the presence of Ozil causes Ramsey a little bit of a problem, and not because I think that Ramsey should play at number 10, but 
if you've got one guy who's basically absent from the midfield, you know, like you say, it's it's kind of difficult to see how Ramsey fits into it too. However, I think on the evidence of this game, he's still really feeling his way into into it, into what he should be doing. Because um, Paul's, I was, I was going to reference, Paul's quite right that there was a thumbs up from Wenger when he scored. It was actually Ramsey that put his thumb up first and Wenger reacted to that. So they obviously had a, some kind of conversation at half time. And you can only imagine that conversation was go forward a bit more. And, you know, one of the biggest criticisms people have of Ramsey, and I, I've been saying all season that in his admittedly limited kind of appearances, that I think it's actually quite a dated criticism based on what he's done this season that everyone just thinks that he just wanders around up front um, and, you know, only cares about scoring. And I, I can see where that criticism came from a little while ago and maybe even last season. But this season, I don't think he's done that. I think he's been much more discerning. Mm-hmm. And I think based on, you know, my imagined conversation based on that, you know, quick thumbs up between the two of them, Wenger told him to go forward more. Um, and that's that's quite an interesting development because that suggests to me that Ramsey's, you know, really trying to see how do I fit in, how do I rein in some of my instincts, how how do I really fit myself into this team and do what this team needs. Um, whether he manages it or not, it completely remains to be seen. I don't think we can quite judge that yet. And also, there's there's then the question if if you're how far are you just telling a player to be a bit disciplined and then perhaps taking away some of his best attributes. So it, there's there's quite a few plates being spun there all at the same time. But um, that being the case, you're not going to get the answer in, in a couple of games. You're, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to get it for, you know, probably in... This is a good time for Arsenal to try and work it out in terms of fixtures. Um, you know, this is as... If Ramsey and Jacker can't make it work, in this run of fixtures, then, you know, it's, it's a dead end really, quite frankly. And it will probably do us well in the long term to know that as much as it might end up damaging our season in the short term. That's a fair point. Um, well, look, there's nobody else. I mean, at the, in this yeah, run of games, yeah. they're going to play because there, there's literally nobody else um, that they can choose. Indeed. From. And we, we've seen before that in a bit of a squeeze, I, I, I still think Wenger does his best work as a coach when he has no choice. Um, I think choice confuses him and muddies his thinking. He's got no choice but to work on these two in training now and get them, get them playing together. So I'm I'm fascinated to see. And and at the moment I'm just open-minded. A bit a bit like Paul. I, I don't necessarily think this is going to be a success. I don't necessarily think it's going to be a failure. I think we've seen in both games so far, we've seen it work okay and we've seen it really not work and I suppose the concerning thing is it's worked okay when we've been chasing a goal um, but then I, I really don't think I think the whole team doesn't know how to play when it's not chasing a goal mm. you know all all of our Premier League defeats this season we've taken the lead um, which tells me that Arsenal structurally do not know how to handle not having to like shit the bed and throw everything <laughs> forward and go for a goal um so uh, and, and it's and that's that's not just been happening when Ramsey and Jacker have been partnering one another that's that's happened with Jacker and Coquelin and the team as well so I, I think there's quite a lot going on there and I think it, it needs perhaps a little while to calm down and if it doesn't calm down then I can I think we can just in the next couple of weeks I think we can just conclu- conclude that it's it's not going to work yeah, and little interesting piece of insight there. Maybe the reason we struggle with keeping clean sheets is because we are so adept at shitting the bed. That could be it. It could be the two things could be intertwined. Um, let let me stick with you for one second, Tim, for sort of a quick, quick question. We seem to have abandoned Alexis at center forward, but we can't really draw that conclusion because obviously there was always going to be rotation for the two games in three days, and then this was FA Cup, so it was a chance to give Ozil a little more of an extended break, and Alexis wasn't in the squad. Um, your instinct now, do you think we have abandoned Alexis at centre forward uh, till still too soon to call, or do you think he'll go back to it? Um, I don't think he's abandoned it. I, my instinct is that Giroud will play the next game. My instinct is that he'll keep, um, kind of unfortunately, I think he'll keep Giroud going until such time that he fails, as it were. 
So the first time he doesn't score a goal or affect a game positively, he'll be out again. Um, that's not the way I'd play it, personally. I think um, he's got to make a tough decision. Um, but I mean, when it was working, it was it was Alexis and Ozil and Awobi exchanging those little, yeah. you know, that triangles on the edge of the box and Theo coming in from the channel and Bellerin overlapping that. And it was it, it had a, a really nice flow and feel to it. I mean, surely mm. the manager sees the impact it's having on our on our on our overall play for the first hour. Yeah, definitely. You'd hope so. Um, I think also maybe he might use the absence of Theo Walcott as maybe another justification in his mind that maybe he thinks that Alexis up front tends to tends to function a bit better with, with Walcott coming in from the right, although I would argue that while Walcott's out, that Lucas has, has possibly earned that role. Um, we will come to Lucas. That is on the list. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that he'll just find it too difficult to drop Giroud because he likes him and he's nearly signing a contract and he's scoring... But I reckon the first time he doesn't score, he'll be out of there, basically. Yeah. But uh, uh, who knows who, I what that will cost him, us. I, I thought you made a good point, which is the Perez thing, I think, is a lifeline for Giroud lasting mm. a little longer there. He, we're a much more interesting front three if you've got Perez as the second forward there. Well, so let's come on to Giroud for you, Paul. And I guess the question is, is it absurd is it overly cynical is it unfair to be critical of a player who continues to make decisive contributions in the last 20 or 30 minutes of the game but who at least from my ignorant eye uh, appears to be hindering the play in the first 60 or 70 minutes is this a case of everything Giroud's doing well he can do as a sub or do you think that he has positively impacted the team starting Look, uh, basically, I agree with your position on Giroud, just not to the same degree, Got not it. with okay. the same same animus towards uh, not so much him, but I think it's the, just more the towards play. the style. Yeah, I mean, I, I still play. think we are decidedly better with Alexis up front. And and just really quick to to sort of strengthen my point a little bit, it's just or uh, amplify. You know, if you look at the things Giroud has done well. Um, you know, in the Bournemouth game in the comeback, it's a layoff in the box to Lucas. It's a layoff in the box to Alexis. It's a one-header. If you look at what he did well, you know, in the in the Preston game, um, he knocks it down for ultimately for Ramsey's goal. He wins the first ball to Lucas, who gets on the second ball, who gets it back to him for the goal. It's it's when the ball, as Tim said earlier, is getting into the mixer that he's influencing things. But we just eschew that style of play for the first hour anyway until the game starts to get stretched and chaotic. Um, and then we start, you know, dumping everything into the box, and he starts decide. I mean, quite predictably, having a much greater influence. My argument would be either play that way from the start, or he really is someone who's just going to be a lot more effective coming in off the bench. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's a very strong point. I basically agree with it. I just, you know, the Giroud option. I mean, my God, he's done fucking brilliantly in terms of his contribution critical contributions in critical games um, and you can't take that away from it. I really do think Perez might be a game changer in terms of uh, Giroud up front. Perez is so clever in and around. I mean, he's just a wily fox, that guy. Very quick. Really knows how to feed off scraps. Ever so clever. And I think he has, even more than Giroud, he has an intensity about him to know what to do in the last five or ten minutes scrambling around that box when we need a goal. And that kind of, to me, if that plays out, then the Giroud-Perez pairing is something a manager will very often want to lean on. Now, overall, I still think we have played our best football with Alexis. But then you look at the personnel around Alexis for, say, he starts against Swansea. The personnel around him is all changed changed utterly a terrible beauty is born oh sorry um you know okay. it, it's it, the players around him are just going to be totally different so it's kind of a even if it, there's no reason why it can't be just as good as it was before it's probably going to take a game or two before uh, alexis with perez on his right and you know who on his left Iwobi, and uh you know ozil and then this 
this different two in midfield, it could, um, I guess we'll have Bellerin and, and, and Nacho back. Um, you know, you're going to want Alexis the, the man, in there, I'm thinking. <laughs> you, you're going to want to, yeah, 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 good point. Yeah, well, I'm talking about if Alexa starts. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, I thought you meant alongside Giroud, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, it, it's all different. And in fact, now the safer bet for him is Giroud and maybe Perez with Alexis coming in on the left because it's been kind of working. He might want to transition back to uh, Sanchez at center four, but he might need to feel his way there a little bit in terms of who the cast of characters are around him. Maybe I'm I'm overstating the changes, but uh, you know you do like your comfort blan- blanket. You know, um, you know my only concern, I, I think, especially when you go with Giroud up front, Lucas on one side, Knox on the other. None of those three are dropping into the midfield to lean. I mean, Giroud can drop deep to win a ball and lay it off, but like they're not gonna add an extra body in midfield versus when you have Alexis Iwobi and pick another, you know, Theo, Ox, Lucas. Sure, any of those last three I named are are pretty much pure forwards, pure wingers, but Alexis and Iwobi will both drop a little deeper, come into midfield, link up with those, link up with Shaka and and his partner and add a little bit more control so that we can build through the center of the pitch, build through midfield a little bit more. I I think if you're playing a Giroud, Lucas, and and Oxley Chamberlain front line, or Theo, and you know whoever it is, but you'd have a you gotta go wide there. All right, right. So Alexis, Giroud, and Lucas. I still think in that setup you have to go wide and 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 play for crosses and balls into the box more. Um, But well, let me let me ask you this, Tim. Just I think one of the things that we saw against Preston is. Unfortunately, bad Oxley Chamberlain, at least for large stretches. Well, quickly before I even get to the main question, do you agree that it was not the finest day for for young Ox? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, so, and I guess my question is, how does the manager determine who gets chances and who doesn't? We've seen players like Joel Campbell who never factored into his plans, or Serge Gnabry, who, granted, injury impacted his career at Arsenal, but. Never got the chance to break through. We're, we're hearing about Gideon Zalalem maybe leaving for Dortmund. Never got a shot at Arsenal, and I'm not. I'm not saying he necessarily deserved one. Even Lucas Perez really struggling to break into the side. Oxley Chamberlain, to me, isn't even on the level of like an Awobi. And Awobi for me is a guy who should be fighting to get into a squad like Arsenal. And and he's really now a, a, a one of those names that's on the team sheet as our strongest eleven. Do you think that Ox is being given more chances than maybe his the? the consistency of his performances warrant. And why do you think the manager has some players like Oxley Chamberlain who continue to get chances in ways that perhaps other players haven't? Uh, yeah, quite possibly. I, I think it's it's quite simple. I just think the manager thinks that his ceiling is a bit higher. Um, I think also the manager probably thinks that he adds something, you know, on his good days that not a lot of other guys in our squad do. Um so I mean, with with you know Joel Campbell, for example, I, I just don't think he thought that Joel Campbell was ever going to be more than a six, seven out of ten player. Whereas he sees something in Chamberlain where if he can, you know, make things click, that that he's kind of worth a go. Um, you know, the likes of Zelalem, you know, Zelalem. I don't think by the sounds of it, he's really been pulling up any trees in training and there are concerns over him physically and, and he's, you know, decided to go effectively. So it, it's not really worth our while uh, investing much more in him. So And, and with Gnabry as well, Gnabry was in the first team. He, he was getting those chances until he got injured. Um, we made a mistake by sending him to West Brom. Um, we, I don't think we made a mistake sending him on loan, but we definitely made a mistake sending him to to West Brom. Not, um, you're not a fan of the Tony Pulis Academy of developing attacking talent? <laughs> not, not, not especially, no. And by the sounds of it, Gnabry played a massive part in that by not being hugely professional and putting on weight. And you know, He obviously just didn't really fancy it. But at the same time, we obviously didn't match him up with the club or a manager that that really inspired him. Um, so I can see why he wasn't getting the chances at Arsenal per se. And then, you know, we did offer him the contracts and I, I'd imagine he'd be not a fixture, um, but I'd imagine he'd have, he'd have played plenty of games uh, or may, at least made plenty of appearances this season. So I, I think there's a, quite a lot going on there. And also um, the strength of Chamberlain's contract is another thing you know he signed a fairly long-term deal 
Um, you know, he signed for like five and a half. Was it? It runs out in 2018. He signed it in December 2012. He signed for five and a half years, um, and that's a lot. And when he does that, he does tend to stick with players. He, yeah. he did that with DRV. He signed him on a five and a half year deal, and he gave him lots of chances. You could argue the same for Jack Wilshire. He also signed a five and a half year deal, and we've kind of given him every chance to be fit. Um, we tried you know, to stick so by I, Chesney for a while. <laughs> Yeah, we did. Although ironically, he he signed he signed a contract not long before we binned Shipped him, him out. Actually. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, um, let me ask you something. Um, because I and this I, this is pure speculation, just getting into psychology. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. I think not bringing through English talent was a stick that was used to beat Arsene Wenger for the first ten years of his career, yeah. and he seems to have been very aware of that. Um, he's made a lot of comments about his contribution to the national team in recent seasons, and we've seen it with Theo and Ox and Jack and Gibbs and Holding and Chambers, and there does seem to be, you know, Chesney briefly there, um, there does seem to be an effort to bring through English talent. I mean, Jenkinson for a cup of coffee, you know, obviously was never really at that level, but but I guess my question is, do you, do you think that the manager does feel that he has, you know, now he's been in England so long and based on his earlier reputation, that he has a responsibility to try to help contribute to the football culture in England and to the national team and that if there's an English player that he can help develop, he will lean in that direction. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, Maybe he's just slightly more confident about the technical level um, of British players compared to when he arrived. Um, I also think that maybe there's a little hint of succession planning there because, you know, we we were a team uh, full of, shall we say, Wenger players. And maybe he thought, well, you know, I need to leave some, you know, if I'm going to leave, you know, in the next couple of years, I need to leave behind a core of a team. And, you know, he'd seen the likes of Fabregas go, um, the likes of Nasri go. You know, he'd, he'd developed lots of fairly... Well, he was burned by foreign players players too, right? I mean, if you're English and you're succeeding at Arsenal, odds are you're going to stay. You know, if if you're French or German or Spanish, or you know, we've seen what happens, Dutch, when you succeed at Arsenal, there's no particular loyalty to stay. So why develop an 18-year-old who's Dutch or German or French if you think that they're just going to fuck off the first chance they get? Yeah, precisely. I I think there was a little bit of that in there as well, having, you know, just seen uh, players like Fabregas and Nasri go. Um, that maybe, yeah, that he felt exactly that, that they're far less likely to go abroad. Um, And I think also he was still attracted. Like, I don't think that he would say, for example, that um, I think everyone knows what I'm talking about when I say Project Youth in the wake of the new stadium. AKA the banter era. Yeah, we know about it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm not sure he would necessarily totally agree that that it was a failure um, philosophically or as a principle, and I, th- I think he was still attracted to the idea of having a core of young players who are friends, um, who grow together, who buy into the ethos and the principles of the club together. Um, and by the way, I, I think he, he kind of almost considered Chesney as part of that that British um, kind of core. Would the um, counter-argument to that, Tim, be that that can produce precisely the level of comfort and um, complacency? You know, you go to work with your buddies and you see your pals at work every day and you laugh about the game of FIFA you played on Xbox the night before instead of seeing a bunch of, you know, hardened professionals who all speak different languages and you feel like you're at work, you know? Yeah, 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 quite possibly. And he saw as well, I think... um, you know, towards the end of the Invincible era, these these two kind of cliques formed in the squad, like the French one and the Spanish one, and and they started to clash a little bit. Um, and I, you know, I, I think I think you're right. I think a squad it's it's a really fine balance, but it can get too cliquey, chummy and um, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm not convinced that's what's happened here. I think I think injuries have have had a lot to do with you know the the failure as it were of the british core to really kick on of course yeah um but yes i i i think there's basically there's a myriad of things that that dictate what makes him give chances to young players because you know he he gave bellerin his chance um but i think bellerin's a great example tim because, because bellerin got a chance 
and took it. Like, he took it right away. Yeah. You know, Bellerin is in the Sesc-Fabregas mold for me. Right, right. I mean, you saw quality from them almost from the word go. And that's why I think, you know, when you say, oh, well, you have to give you a chance. Look at Bellerin. That's why Ox needs chances. Like, Bellerin didn't need the number of chances and the number of inconsistent performances that Ox needed to succeed. Like, for example, Chambers got a chance. He kind of blew it. And he lost that opportunity. But that doesn't seem to be the case with Ox, you know? Yeah, and I think that's because Chamberlain hasn't been putting together like a string of poor performances. It's inconsistency. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think he's he's more willing to tolerate inconsistency than, you know, for example, Joel Campbell, who was who was pretty average, pretty consistently. He, he you know, he. I'm doing him down a little bit there because he was quite useful at points last season, but I'd argue that's just because we were so lacking in terms of anyone that could vaguely pass a football that actually he, he became more valuable than he should have been. But I think he tolerates inconsistency more than he tolerates. I mean, look at how kind of brutally he's treated Jenkinson in the last couple of weeks, for example, and not incorrectly, by the way. No, but, no, but that's what we you know, want, right? Been, right? Yeah, I mean, isn't yeah. that's, I, you know, look, not to be a dick about it, but it is professional football and these guys are well yeah, paid. Yeah. And like, if you're not good enough, you shouldn't get the chance over and over again to prove you're not good enough. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So, so well, look, I, less people think I've got Paul in timeout here or something. Let's uh, get back to him for a second. And, Paul, I, I want to ask you about Lucas, but I, I think it would only be fair to give you an option if you want to uh, have a word about Oxlade-Chamberlain quickly, if you have any, yeah, any thoughts on that. Yeah, I'll make a couple of quick uh, – it's another one where I think part of the the different view on it is the, the difference in rating. I think he's better than you do. Uh, and so – I can't, obviously, we can't put numbers on it, so we can't measure it. But just in terms of my gut feeling of our conversations, I think part of your your confusion with the manager is he thinks he's better than you do. And, you know, maybe I don't think he's as good as the manager does, but I do think there's still something very good there. I thought he was okay in this game. I didn't think it was great. It wasn't a terrible game. I thought he had a really um, poor first half, but that's not, you know, <laughs> that's not, not putting yeah, him in, a, in, in exclusive company. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, uh, it was like I'd say Perez had a good game in in goodish game in the first half, and beyond that, not much. So well, I have always uh, said Ox has tremendous physical skills. I think what the best way I can summarize Ox for myself is every time I watch him play, I find myself sitting in front of the TV going, "Pass it, give it, give, give the pass." Pass the passes on that. Pa- get, no, okay, all right. Oh, good dribble. All right, pass it. No, pass, pass. pass. You know, like he just. And I, sus- I think you, I know exactly what you mean is decision making. But if the manager believes that will come once the dude relaxes and becomes more confident, that probably explains why he he sees more upside than you or I might. Yeah, fair. So enough. look, he's getting his chances. But you I, can't he, deny he, that. He, you know, he's getting he's getting his chances. Getting but his chances. he's not a starter. He's not a starter. He's no. playing because other people are injured. He plays because yep. Theo's injured. He but he plays seems to because, be the first off the bench for the wide positions. And I'll tell you this: it'll be interesting with Welbeck back now. We may see Ox really struggle for some for playing time, um, especially leading to my we next will. question, which is: Do you think we Lucas will. Perez has done enough in these few chances he's gotten to earn that playing time that we speculated about whether he would get or not? Yes. Yeah. If do you I think were he'll the break manager, in? do I think he will? He'll break I think in? he yeah, should. Do you think so? mm-hmm. Uh, I think he'll break in right now. I don't know how long he'll he'll hang in there, but I mean, to me, he has. Some, we've kind of had conversations around this where we say, you know, similarities to other players. I actually think he's substantially different to anybody else we have. Um, and if I'm a manager, uh, I, again, maybe part of it's harking back to watching or researching what he did uh, in Spain in his final year and the impact he had for the team down the stretch and his commitment in that Barcelona game. I mean, he, he wasn't just a player. He was everything. Uh, and how dirty he can get. I don't mean necessarily dangerous dirty, just kind of, you know, uh, uh, we're going to the mattresses kind of thing. Um, and I think something we have lacked in the past that that I think we all feel we need a bit of is a guy who's willing to do whatever it takes. He's that guy. And uh, particularly going down the stretch, I think if we're in any way close to a, a, a 
title chase. I think Perez is a big fucking deal. I think I thought he was sensational in this game in the sense not that his play was brilliant, just his his laser focus, his commitment the whole time, uh, his ability to work in tight spaces, um, you know, getting in and scrapping around whatever uh, Giroud knocks down. Um, I, I just think that's a really, really good one too. And, you know, uh, I don't think uh, Theo, for the most part, can withstand Welbeck's return. I think Welbeck just provides too much over 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Perez might have a shot at it if he can really get going here because I th- he clearly has some things Welbeck doesn't have and vice versa. That, But if I were a manager, they're the kinds of things I'd want on the pitch, especially if he can spark with Giroud. And then, uh, you know, I was going to say Welbeck brings a lot of what Giroud does, but not many people are bringing what Giroud does at the moment in terms of impact, goal, raw goals and assists, even though there may be a cost or overall play. Well, right, and I think so, as we discussed, the question is, can he still do those things if he's coming on at 60 minutes, since that seems to be right about the point where he starts to influence things. Sure. I think the thing that jazzes him up could be Perez, because as a, a one-two combination, I mean, right from the start of the second half, Perez took the second striker role in and around the box in that first 50 seconds. And he's part of the reason we made that goal. Uh, yeah, Giroud plays a bit of, of uh, the hub on the, uh, what do you call it, the, uh, the pinball machine there as they're playing it in off his feet. But yeah. Perez is buzzing in and around the box uh, and had that ball come back off um, Ramsey. He was probably offside. But anyway, had the ball come back off Ramsey he was right in position to to swoop down it, and then his role in the second goal. I mean, that's just fucking class. We we were nowhere, uh, but he managed to get in a superb back heel, and 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 Giroud bundles it in. So I don't know. I I think that's his hope to a starting position. His relationship and partnership with Giroud, and we'll have to see how it works with uh, Sanchez when when he gets back in the driver's seat. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. I, you know, it's it's funny because we have no central midfielders, but now all our forwards are coming back because we've got Giroud and Alexis and Crazy. Lucas and Ox and Theo coming back and and Danny Welbeck is back. And so, you know, you, you, we always seem to be spoiled for choice in one area and have no options in another. And if Bellerin is out for any long period of time, which there's a little bit of a whisper that that could happen, that can really impact our not just our defending but our attack especially as well. Um, Tim, really quickly here um, – we have had the opportunity to make some fun comebacks. Uh, not, not really the position we want to be in, but, you know, down three goals to Bournemouth and down to Preston. We did fight back and get a point from Bournemouth and, and beat Preston. Are you more encouraged by the fight backs or more concerned by the deficits? Slightly more concerned by the deficits, to be honest, just because of... Um, uh, I mean, I, I kind of went into it at the beginning of the pod, really, but where I think they're coming from, and I think it's coming from a structural malaise <clears throat> that we have. And in the end, we we kind of go into panic football. And I, th- I think really the chickens have been coming home to roost on this a few weeks, probably since, I don't know, around about the middle to end of November. And gradually the clock's been running out on us. It was kind of going all right and we were getting away with it. And now it's a little bit closer to the knuckle and the better teams have punished us for it. We've just about managed to get past the slightly weaker teams. And yeah, I I just feel like the clock's kind of running out on that, that that's not sustainable and that we have to, we have to, you know, we have to fix the hole in our bucket as it were, um, because we can't just, you know, we can't just keep kind of papering over the cracks with Route 1 football and, and last-minute goals as, as nice as they are. You can't build a season on them. You you want to be able to do that every once in a while when it's necessary. It does become necessary, but it can't be your, your go-to tactic, and it kind of feels like it is at the moment. Um, so, yeah, over, overall, I, I think... The thing is as well that, that's weird about Arsenal is Arsenal are always mentally strong enough to come back from their own mental weakness, um, as it were. But when when other teams 
pose us a problem, we really struggle. We really struggle to come up with an answer. And we've seen that in the games against Everton, the games against City, where their managers have made changes that have kind of asked questions of us and we've come up wanting. When we shoot ourselves in the foot, we seem to focus a little bit and pull ourselves out of the mire. But yeah, it, it basically, it doesn't really feel like a lot of thought is going into this, that it's it's all a bit of a mad scramble. And fortunately, we've got, we've got a really good squad. And as we just alluded to, we've got really good attacking options to the point that we can even lose like players like Theo Walcott and Mesut Ozil and still score plenty of goals. Um, but I don't think that's due to any great plan or tactical genius that that's just kind of we're just throwing strikers on um and in the long term i I don't think that that's sustainable well that leads me nicely into the last question i want to ask both of you so i'll just ask you first tim since we're here i mean do you think our season might be teetering on the brink of unraveling i mean we had our worst half of the season the second half against city and then we had our next worst half of the season the first half against Bournemouth, and then we had our next worst half of the season, the first half against Preston, with admittedly a, a pretty strong side, I think you'd have to say. Um, there are structural problems. The midfield is down to being Shaka and Ramsey and nobody else. Um, the two-man midfield is worrying. Now, admittedly, we haven't seen Alexis up front. We haven't seen Alexis Nozel together in their sort of preferred positions uh, since this started, but is is there any worry for you that this can get out of hand kind of quickly with Bayern coming up and a cluster of fixtures again, and maybe a tough away trip to Southampton in the FA cup. And that we could be yeah. staring at one of those late February, Holy shit, we're in fifth place. And now it's all about scrambling for fourth situations. Yeah, that's, that, that is a, a big risk. Um, I think whether, whether that happens, I think a lot will, um, will depend on how, how Ramsey and Jack affair, whether they can forge any kind of working partnership, um, and I think a lot will depend on... So basically, I think those midfield structural problems were there all season, but that fairly, like you said earlier in the pod, you know, that fairly fluid front three meant that we just attacked a bit better um, and we had players dropping back into midfield a bit more and, and masking some of those deficiencies, and we don't have that at the moment. If we can kind of get a little bit of that back... Um, I mean, I, I don't think we're going to win the league or the Champions League or anything like that. I I think we'll finish third or fourth. You're the most negative guy. Um, it's just hard to put on. I swear <laughs> to God. But, but, but yeah, of course, like there, there is every chance that this, this could, that, you know, Ramsey and Jacker completely doesn't work in the manner that Ramsey and Flamini didn't last season. And by the way, Ramsey and Flamini, if we were playing with that this year, we wouldn't finish in the top four. If we were playing with Ramsey, Flamini, Joel Campbell, um, we wouldn't, we wouldn't finish in the top four with the way this season is. Um, I don't think so. You know, it has to go better than it did this time last year. Um, effectively, the, the the kind of the positives really are. I think Danny Welbeck coming back. I think Lucas looks interesting and he looks ready now. Um, I think Per Mertesacker maybe not for his on pitch influence, but for his kind of dressing room influence. I think that can be a good thing. So I think it, it just depends it feels like it's on a bit of a knife edge and it just depends which way things fall. Generally, like I said, Arsenal do enough to achieve pretty much the bare minimum in these circumstances. So I wouldn't mind betting that we probably go out of the Champions League to buy and maybe to Southampton as well, but end up kind of finishing third in the league. And then everyone has the whole summer to argue about whether that's any good or not, whether that constitutes failure. And we end up with a, a little bit of a groundhog season. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 that, that worry is definitely there. And we can't be complacent just because we always finish in the top four. doesn't mean that it, it, we always it, will. Yeah, it's not birthright. Like, I mean, yeah. as much as I like to malign it, it, we've gotten there through you know quality performances and hard work and, and talent. And I don't think it's a guarantee this season. I mean, I think... As much as we hate to admit it, United have a ton of talent, and eventually you buy enough talent, and it just gets you where you want to go. Um, and I think, you know, City definitely have problems, but ultimately I think that their talent and the manager will be enough. So when you look at Liverpool and City and Chelsea and United, we got to finish ahead of one of those teams. Um, mm. And the cushion isn't that big, and we are certainly in a very precarious position. Um, 
but I think it's funny that you think we have to wait till the summer to argue. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> um, Paul, I'll, I'll let you finish on a cheery note because I'm at least hope, half hoping that that's what we're going to get here. Um, you know, if you had to look into the crystal ball and, and say what the next couple of weeks of football bring under the circumstances with the players we have available and the fixtures coming up, what would be your, your expectation? Well, yeah, uh, I agree. There's every chance of the season unraveling. That might be a strong word for it. But there's also every chance of the season raveling. So it's Huge a really interesting point. Yeah, raveling. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. Well, you know, it was raveling that made it big first, and then the unraveling guys jumped on the <laughs> bandwagon. So, uh, you know, we're judging Ramsey at the moment. Um, but we're judging him on a, a few seasons now where he has not his, maintained his fitness. Now, that in itself is a worrying statement because we need him for the next month or so to, to keep, keep himself in one piece. But if he stays fit and form a partnership there with Chaka, uh, there's a lot I like when I see the two of those guys lined up together. Now, the first goal they did waltz between the two two of our central midfielders with a Maradona turn. So that was a little troubling, but we got better in the second half. So it's kind of which side of that pairing will we see? Uh, up front, we got loads of options. In defense, in terms of the quality of the personnel, we're very strong. Uh, doesn't mean our defensive record is impeccable, but in terms of the personnel... You know, we've got a really good attack and a really good defense, lots of options, uh, a rough month or so in the midfield. Um, I, 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 won't, I won't be that worried if, uh, you know, I would love us to win the, the, the league this year. I don't think we're going to do it. But if these other teams are getting stronger and stronger, our competitors, the one thing that may mean is they can take points out of Chelsea and you know, I'll think it's a success if we came third, but we were in a contention for the whole way down the stretch, and it could have been us, or it could have been somebody else, and we just miss out and we come third by, you know, three points at the end of the day. Um, if if what we're talking about is coming third or fourth or missing out on a third or fourth in the league, but it's like third or fourth as it has been over the last few years where we were never really in contention... That'll be extremely disappointing, and I, I think a bad, a bad season and a bad letdown. But I think we could, you know, it's on a knife edge. I think there's as much reason for optimism or pessimism. I don't see us winning the league, though. Yeah. The only, the only thing I'd add really quickly is that um, we're, we're possibly guilty of not looking at the teams around us in terms of some of them are quite precarious as well. I, d I don't think, for example... Liverpool are going to go on, you know, it's guaranteed that Liverpool are going to win and win and win and win. Um, we saw on Sunday against Plymouth, they don't have much of a squad. Um, and I don't think it's guaranteed that Man City will. I do think United look a bit worrying. Spurs, you know, will they run out of steam again, which Pochettino teams have a history of doing? You know, there's, there's a lot in the melting pot there. Yeah, no, I think that's all fair. And, and obviously... You know, if you had to put money on someone coming in the top four, you, you'd put it on us because we have the history of doing it. I think um, the signs are just a little troubling right now, and we know the manager's not going to change system. That's just not really how he operates. So, you know, or at least I think we can presume that. So he's got to find a way to make the players he's got work in this system, and right now it's going to be Ramsey and Shaka. I mean, I, unless you guys can think of any alternative, right? I mean, that's it. So... We'll see what happens. Um, it's and that might turn out to be good. No, as, I, as Tim said. it could it be could turn great. If it if yeah, it, it works, could be great for us that he doesn't have any option too. Yeah, but look, based on individual talent alone, you'd have to say that Shaq and Ramsey are the two best central midfielders we have, just in terms of how I think we all rate them in terms of talent. So if they can yeah. work as a partnership, be great to get your two most talented midfielders on the pitch together at the same time. And by the way, I'm discounting Santi because I just. I think with his ankle situation, we kind of have to start doing that. Um, in any in any event, we have Swansea away. I mean, look, they can't defend to save their fucking life. So, you know, hopefully we can get something going there. We know Aaron Ramsey's always up for playing Swansea as a Cardiff guy. So, right, he's a Cardiff guy. Right? We'll spot yeah. them two goals in the first half, though. If it's just the two, that's a piece of piss for us. So, no problem. In any event, look, we're looking forward to it. it either 
it will be a great end to the season. I can eat a ton of crow and we can all celebrate. Or it'll be a horrible run into the end of the season and the podcast will be great. So one way or the other, we all win by hopefully winning. But even if we lose. Anyway, uh, Paul's on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! And Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto, and we know what he's writing about, so skip his blog this week. No point. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> Pleasure. My name's Elliot Smith. Please block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Leave us five stars and then write nasty stuff in the reviews. And we got this in under an hour. I don't know. Once Linus adds his rambling mess of an intro that, you know, I'm kidding. We love Linus. He's the best. But when, once he adds the intro, it might be over an hour. But this is, this is um, you know, this is just a quick little jaunt through arsenal for us anyway what am i doing i'm making it too long all right i'm hanging up now it was great talking to you guys goodbye